0: It's the Ambiguously Blind Podcast, with your host, a guy that's great at hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes.
1: Hey, 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 greetings. Welcome back to the Ambiguously Blind Studio. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting our podcast experience. If you want to know more about the podcast, head on over to AmbiguouslyBlind.com. There you will find all kinds of information, as well as the complete episode list and notes for each episode, links to some of the products and things that we talk about on the podcast, as well as our social media links for all the places that we hang out. And if you like what we're doing here on the podcast, we really would appreciate if you take a moment to write a review or leave a rating. You're probably able to do that in the browser or the app in which you're listening to this episode. I am really excited and honored to speak with our guest today. The great Jenny Owens is stopping by. She, of course, has an incredible voice and songwriting style that has fueled her musical career and she has such a firm grip on her faith in Christianity and always being able to find hope in every situation. She recently transitioned from songwriting to book writing and released Singing in the Dark. So I can't wait to visit with her about the book and a few other topics. Hey Jenny, thanks a bunch for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast.
2: Thanks John for having me, it's so much fun to be with you.
1: Well I'm excited to have you here. We have some things in common um so generally I hear. we're humans yes that's which is which is what we have in common kind of cool i'm not yeah. always
2: human i don't know about you but i do have my days when i'm definitely something else i don't know it depends on who
1: you ask yeah and, and what time <laughs> of the day so that exactly. could certainly be the case for me too yes uh we're both christians
2: yes that is true
1: and i think we uh at least for me i'm a major music nor dork Let me that. i'm sorry Nork dirt. I'm a, major, <laughs> I'm a major music nerd, dork, nork, whatever you want to say it. Yes, as am I. And you are in music. So yes. that, that's kind of a cool thing. And uh, we both have a visual impairment.
2: Yes. So many things in common.
1: Uh, yeah. And the list probably goes on. But yes. I want to just stop right there with the visual impairment because this is the ambiguously blind podcast. Can you tell me about or tell us about your vision and when things um, how things got the way they are?
2: Yeah, for sure. So I was born with uh degenerative eye stuff conditions that were inherited from my dad's side of the family. He uh has excellent vision in one eye, perfect vision, and then in his other eye he uh can't see at all. So but he could drive and all that. So like I never really thought of him as you know, having a vision, a visual impairment growing up. Mm-hmm. But um, I had, gosh, I kind of had everything. I had cataracts and glaucoma and all the different stuff. And so, um, but I had enough vision to see colors. And so I was learning those and to see people and um, you know, make out my my favorite people, and my mom said my favorite color was purple. I don't actually remember that, um but when I was three, I went in for a surgery or a cryotherapy treatment, a freezing treatment basically and um the doctor was hoping it would at least stabilize the vision I had and it actually just took it all away. I think looking Mm. back, my parents actually think he wasn't a great doctor. So um, who knows if maybe I could have had vision still, if it was a different doctor, but uh, they they didn't really let the grass grow under their feet. They didn't really sit around worrying about it. We just um, went on with life. And my mom says six weeks after um, I had the surgery, I was back outside playing and you know, my parents didn't tell me I was any different, so I didn't know. I mean, they let me climb trees and uh, ride my bike still, and um, and so I just kind of confidently kept doing the stuff that I think I had just a, a limited enough vision that you know, though I used it some, I didn't depend on it completely. So I think that made sort of the the change. Um and of course when you're a kid you can adapt to anything anyway but I think that did make the change a lot easier for me. I do remember maybe a year later like when I was 4 uh looking like looking for my eyes is what I was telling my mom. I was like I can't they don't work. I can't find them, you know. So mm-hmm. I remember kind of feeling like they were missing but um but yeah, I I really don't remember seeing anything except sometimes in dreams. I I wake up knowing that I could see, but I I kind of have lost what it was I was seeing. I could just tell you that I could see see things in the dream. So it's kind of mm. strange. But um, how often does that happen? Not very often. I would say you know it's probably happened five or six times in my life. Mm. Um, very strange. Interesting. But yeah, do you do you see when you dream?
1: Yes. Do you? Um, I, I mean, actually, I do and don't see. I have different dreams d- uh, depending upon, I guess, what's happening. But right. for me, I had vision for 19 years normally. So right. I, I those would be, you know, I I would see things as a, as as though I'm younger. But there are dreams that I have that are current where I do see like it's abnormal, like whatever the dream is, I'm I'm, I'm actually fully sighted. Yeah. Um, and then I also have dreams where I'm just like I am now, which is legally blind or ambiguously blind, whatever you want to call blind. it. blind. That yeah. is,
2: yeah. Wow. That is fascinating.
1: I well, the know. vision, the, the vision thing, and I mean, there's quite a spectrum and really until you're involved in it, you most, I don't think most people really understand that. I think most people think you see nothing or you see, you know, everything. And if you don't see everything, you get lenses to help fix that and then you right. can see normally so right not the case and really you, you know I could have somebody that's got a very similar condition to me uh, with similar acuity and really we, we could still see very things stuff. A, a lot differently yeah. so yeah. it's really hard to describe and it and part of the reason why I, why I do the podcast is just to kind of help uh, basically just have people understand my vision and, and just right. vision in general and kind of talk to people that um, are in the same kind of spectrum as, as me and just kind of relate to people and how, how they see and and those types of things. So
2: absolutely it's unique for, for most. Definitely. Yeah. I think people kind of just think if you can't see, um, Even just to to a certain degree, if you if you can only see, you know, certain things that you're just you're somehow kind of plunged into darkness. Like like I think I've even heard you say on the podcast before the idea of just, you know, people kind of meet one person that's blind or visually impaired and they sort of think that's that's what they think everybody is. Yeah, yeah, and
1: I don't fault people for that because you know it it just that's kind of how things are. That's how we always are. Yeah, that's when. Part of the reason for the podcast is just to kind of illustrate there are differences. There's lots of times where I interact with people that I wish I had more time to describe things to them, mm-hmm. but sometimes interactions are so quick that it it just doesn't lend itself to, I don't have a problem talking about my vision or anything. I, I actually prefer to talk about it right? Um, just because I, I want people to understand, you know, what I don't want people to know is like, I mean, even my neighbors where I live, some of them don't know. Yeah. And I might walk right by one of them. I wouldn't recognize. You know, I don't know them, and they might look at me like, "Oh," then say hi to me. They don't even look at me. You know, right? Yeah. So, uh, for those types of social, the the implications for those social things, I'd like people to understand that. Hey, you know, John just doesn't really see very well, right? Um, but just to look at me, you wouldn't know it, right? And and I ride a bike too. Yeah! Wow, um, that's just, amazing. Just as this crazy pandemic thing went on, we have some small children. And we got into the age where we're going to start riding bikes and all of a sudden it's like, well, I could keep up with them when they're on foot, but when they're on a bike, that's a different story. Right. So my wife got a bike and then I was like, you know what? The saying is that you never forget how to ride a bike. And I hadn't ridden one for about 20 years and i got on it and great. Now it's, it's scary and um, exhilarating from second to second because, uh, Again, I don't see very well, but I see well enough to be dangerous, which is how I also call myself.
2: Yes. Especially on a bike. Be careful out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, but if my neighbor, I'm riding down the the street and my neighbor sees me on a bike, you know, by myself, um, why would they think there's anything unusual about, about my vision? So, um, it's, I don't know. That's why I just like, I like talking, I like having conversations, like meeting new people. Yeah, and um, I like getting the message out there that um, vision is a spectrum, and, right? And um, you you may be surprised with what happens with what what people can do with limited or no vision. Whatsoever. Absolutely, absolutely. And you you have experience with uh, you've used a service dog and I, or a cane, yes, throughout the years.
2: I have. I use a cane now. Um in fact for most of my life I've used a cane. I did have a dog a, a dog guide in uh for most of college and her name was Lindy and she was great uh on some level although they did not they had not trained her with squirrels and so when I got to college where there were lots of big oak trees she went ballistic. So yeah, right. I worked the whole time to train her uh, to not chase the squirrels. I think we we got mostly better, but not completely. She, she would occasionally take off after one. So, um, but yeah, I had a dog for college uh, and then I began to teach and I was at a large, when I was doing my student teaching, it was at first at a large public high school where there were just thousands of kids of all different nationalities and they actually, um, she, she was just not wired for that kind of an environment. It was too much for her. And a lot of the kids were also scared of her. So, um, that was kind of the end of my guide dog days. I I have often thought that maybe there would be another time to do that, but for the most part, cane travel has worked fine, um, and has gotten me where I needed to go independently. And so I'm very thankful for that.
1: What is cane travel like in New York city? You live in New York city, right? I
2: do. Yeah. Um, it's quite an adventure. There's always, um, there's always construction, it seems. And uh, there I live in a neighborhood that is great, but there are lots of narrow uh, sidewalks. So always lots of people in a hurry. And so that's the only kind of panic for me is when I know someone is just, you know, racing up behind me and, you know, in a hurry to get somewhere. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to navigate around the construction on the narrow sidewalk. But, But it really does work well. I find New Yorkers really friendly and helpful you know and uh or or asking if i need help whether i do or not so uh it's led to lots of interesting conversations you know while crossing the street and uh so i'm i'm very very thankful for that um i've i've lived in you know nashville and um you know been in a lot of other places where i feel like that is that's not the reaction that a lot of people have to a cane they're maybe more uncomfortable and more scared and i feel like new yorkers just kind of go for it they're like oh well she has a cane so you know, she's. Some people are like. Well, the other day, some guy goes for a blind person. You're doing really great. <laughs> I was like, wow. He was trying to give a compliment. Thanks. It just yeah. uh, wasn't wasn't working out so well. But yeah. so I mean, but I think people have you know on some level they have respect for you for you know they think oh, okay you're independent you're doing your thing. But I also appreciate that you know if there's unusual construction or some strange intersection that people are really great about saying hey, would you like some assistance? And so that's that's a great part of New York. People are just bold and they just go for it. And uh, Yeah, and I, I guess maybe
1: that. that works into your favor there.
2: It definitely does. And I, I just, I love hearing New Yorkers talk. So I, I have a great time asking <laughs> questions across the street.
1: How long have you been in New York?
2: About three and a half years.
1: Okay, that's so a pretty good amount of time.
2: It is, yeah.
1: Do you have it's, plans to stay there indefinitely? or not? I do. You're in seminary, I right? am,
2: yeah, in my okay. last year of seminary. So... But yeah, I have plans to stay as as long as I can can do it. So, um hopefully hopefully for a while.
1: That's good. From a working perspective, is is it easier in the city versus being somewhere more remote or is it about the same?
2: You know, it's about the same. I still uh, a lot of my work is still attached to Nashville at this point, so I still go back um pretty frequently, maybe once every 6 weeks or so um, to do whatever recording or anything else that needs to be done. And of course, with the pandemic, we've all learned we can do lots of work online. So, um, I still do a lot of that. So I don't have to do a lot of my work here, which I guess is kind of strange and that may change. Who knows? Uh, we'll see when things open up, but, um, but so far so good.
1: What's the plan after seminary?
2: Mm, I don't know that the plan changes much. I would really like to do some nonprofit work in New York City, like work for a nonprofit. I don't know, you know, we'll see if that's a paying job or just something I do on the side and continue. I mean, my main goal at this point is to continue doing what I'm doing, um, you know, making music, hopefully writing some more books. But if I can kind of get involved in in some social justice initiatives in the city. I would really like to do that as well. So, we'll see. We'll see what that leads to, what that means. There's there's a lot to get involved in around here and I'm I'm still learning. I feel like kind of lost last year with the pandemic getting to get involved in in uh too much of that sort of thing, but but I'm I'm starting to get to to dig my toe in the, or put my toe in the water a little bit.
1: Yeah. I think we all kind of feel like last year was a was a lost year.
2: Yes yeah it was it wasn't totally lost for me, thankfully because I had school to do and uh, I was writing a book and so um you know, having to stay in was you know was pretty actually pretty, pretty tremendous blessing for me. Now um, I, I uh, didn't have to make excuses for why I couldn't go out and and all also just classes uh, coming online was very, very helpful. Um, just, just kind of made things more efficient. So a lot of people said, I'm so sick of watching Netflix. And I was like, what Netflix? I have not watched any Netflix in a long (laughs) time. So that's, that's what school will do for you though.
1: I haven't either. We, we have a, our little family here and I will say maybe lost isn't, is, is not a good word to use, at least in my experience. But I mean, we just got really tight as a, as a family unit where, where I am. Mm-hmm. and uh even we have family close to us and even those relationships weren't as close as i'd like for them to have been but in my immediate household um we got a lot of bonding oh that's great so, some may even say too much but <laughs> we we may can you too have much too much, much though you know I, I i guess we'll just know in retrospect uh we'll probably look back on that time as as uh, really tremendous for for what we were doing at the time but um Absolutely. Yeah, it, it it certainly is something like we have never experienced and probably never will experience again. Hopefully, anyway. But
2: hopefully, yes. Although, if we could have that part where we, you know, uh, do a lot of things inside if we need to or want to, and and nobody thinks we're strange for doing that, I I wouldn't mind that. You know, every now and then, I feel like not only that, but just having some a little bit of downtime was really nice. You know, yeah, like not being able to go anywhere was sometimes felt, you know, very isolating. You, you didn't but. have
1: to, like you said, you didn't have to have an excuse to, to not do something or right, to, to right. take it easy. Yes. And, uh, that's certainly, uh, I can, I can certainly relate to that. And for me in my, uh, podcasting is not my day job. Um, unfortunately yet, but going commuting from the office, uh, now I work from home ah. and it really cuts. There's, I have no commute now. Yes. You know? That's a great and, thing. Um, it, I I wouldn't have thought it had worked that way, but actually it worked and it it actually worked well. So it's just amazing all the things that changed that we probably wouldn't have thought would change, but, but did. And, And here we are. So,
2: and here we are
1: but we're breaking out of it now i think yeah i think is, is new york city coming back
2: it is it's definitely fun you, to f- does it walk feel around different? it does uh it does it, w- it was eerily quiet for quite a while and you know especially when the pandemic first started you just like the only thing you heard outside was the ambulance sirens every 15 minutes which was just haunting and so now people are back tourists are back um The streets are crowded and I'm like, wait, I kind of liked these uh, open streets a little more, but Mm
0: -hmm. it actually
2: feels a lot safer when there are a lot of people out. So yeah, it's been fun to see the city come back to life. Restaurants are open. I think Broadway opens in a few months. So we're getting there.
1: Okay. Let's talk a little bit about music. You're a musician among other things and a writer and and all, all, all kinds of other things. And I'm a major music dork. As I mentioned before, I'm really interested in your musical influences uh i've and where you've also got a book that just came out, yeah, uh, singing in the dark, yeah, and i I've read that. It's a tremendous book. We'll talk a little bit more about that in greater detail, but in the book, you mentioned some influences,
2: yeah, I mentioned the the things my mom and dad really liked, um right. yeah, I had a really diverse musical background. I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, and um I So I fell in love with gospel music and blues and um, R&B. Those were kind of some of my first loves of music. Those were the first things that I was learning at school from my friends. Um, But, well, I guess even before that, though, my my parents loved, like, the Carpenters, and Mm, they had old Carpenter records and, like, um, the Beatles. um, And I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, Yeah, just all kinds of you know, old 70s stuff. Um, so we would dig it out of the attic and play that music and... Um, on vinyl? On vinyl, yeah. Yeah. Back in the days be- before funny. vinyl was cool. It was just yeah. kind of what you had back then. <laughs> vinyl or your bad eight track uh, tape uh-huh. tape player yeah. in the car. So so yeah, um, I, I probably had first a, a steady diet of that and plus classical music and we were around the church a good bit. So everything from, you know, Handel's Messiah to um, you know, I don't know, Pocka Bell's canon, you know, just all kinds of stuff. And then mm-hmm. uh once I went to school though, there was quite a bit of um just gospel in RB and uh but I also really loved songwriters. So I remember um someone giving me some old Amy Grant tapes. Um, and just her voice and the guitar and the piano and just the honesty of her lyric, I so appreciated even as a seven and eight year old mm-hmm. um, and was really drawn to singer songwriter. So um, as I went on, you know, there were people like, you know, Stevie Wonder was a huge influence. Um, but, you know, people like, you know, and Aretha and Cool in the Gang and lots of uh, 80s bands. But then I also loved, you know, like. Debbie Gibson and I don't know new kids talking about Debbie
1: Gibson oh yeah.
2: yes can't forget kids about her yes um but then you know when I went to college I really did kind of embrace the whole singer-songwriting thing which at the time was Sarah McLaughlin and Cheryl Crow and um, and then I sort of went back and learned you know Joni Mitchell and uh, all kinds of great, you know, James Taylor is a huge favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. So really I would say there's kind of a, a combination of singer-songwriter soul and like, you know, black gospel and R&B soul. Those are probably the leading kind of categories of influence musically for me.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty wide spectrum there. It is, um, yeah. And, and I, I dig the the soul stuff, That's that's good stuff, yeah.
2: Absolutely, yes.
1: I think my parents danced to the Carpenters at their wedding. So. Oh,
2: I love it. <laughs> um, but
1: I will tell you I there's nothing better than the uh, Carpenters Christmas album.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, oh man. I
1: in, in in the mix of my Christmas music, I keep I try to keep it at least 50/50 um with like hymnal type tunes yeah. but also pop tunes. Yes. And uh sleigh ride by the Carpenters is got to be for me at least um I don't know. She's I just love her voice. Yes, it is and very
2: good. Gosh, it's... it makes me want to go break out that. I have to see if it's on the Apple Music. I bet it is.
1: Oh yeah, of course.
2: It won't sound as good, but I don't have those vinyls anymore. So, um, yeah. Do you have any vinyls? I have no vinyl. I you know I've been wanting to get a record player for a long time, and it just hasn't happened yet. So, me too. Maybe yeah. yeah maybe after school I can do it.
1: I've got about probably about eighty vinyl records that oh, I got wow. from my dad. Oh, cool. I've only bought probably two of my own um, in the time. I don't have a record player, though. I, you got to well, get to one. I do. It's time. Uh, it It's a long story, but I, I haven't yet. But And I've been talking with my dad. I think it's... I, so I have all of his vinyl, which is probably about 80, and they're in my closet. And every time I look at them, I'm like, man, I got to start playing those. And yeah. I've thought about you know my... Uh, it would just be such a good time spent with my dad because my dad's really into music, and we have a lot of similar... Uh, musical um a lot of similarities musically and there's, so there's a lot of gold in there and i just think it would be great to have i mean some of those are ones he had when he was in college and oh you know, so fun to talk about the the times that you know what, what he was doing when he bought these albums and all those kind of things so i am very soon gonna have a, a record player and we're gonna yeah do you have a birthday coming
2: and, up maybe you need to put this on your list you know
1: no i I, you know, my birthday is, it's four days after yours. Oh,
2: wow. So we get, Well, we maybe get to you can them. ask for a retroactive birthday present. How uh, advance. That uh, bir- yeah. Advance or a birthday remember. for next year. <laughs> birthday advance. There you go.
0: No,
1: I, I just need to get it. Okay. It's just well, one of those things where it's just too busy. And I've even talked to him about it. Yeah. And just with the craziness of life, I'm like, okay, so I'm going to get it. Yeah. Then when are we going to do it? Right. Um, but I actually have to have it before we can do it. So you're right. Yeah. Well, you should I'm look gonna, Prime
2: Day's coming up on Amazon, right? You should check it out and see if they have any record they players. They have a bunch of them. Oh, there you go.
1: They have a bunch.
2: <laughs> you've already checked into this. I love it.
1: No, I've I've even yeah. Yeah, I have so.
2: All right. Well next time I talk to you, you're gonna be playing records. I have a uh, yeah. good feeling about it.
1: And I hope the same for you. Yes. Uh, but you've got to get some vinyl. It shouldn't be an issue though. Somebody in the music industry should uh I know. I've had vinyl and vinyl. I think
2: I still have some in storage somewhere. I just have to find it. So
1: I just, I just hope they all, you know, vinyl does degrade over time. Yes. And I just hope it, you know, some of these records haven't been played in at least 30 years. So hopefully they, they, um, they sound good. I say it's a long story. I had a record player. So I had, I had my great, or I'm sorry, my grandparents record player. It was a console.
2: Oh, wow.
1: I think it was made by Fisher back in like the sixties.
2: How fun.
1: And I threw a series of moves, um, I, I had to let it go Aww. and it was, it was a really tough decision. Sad so day. I'm just going to end up getting a tabletop. Yeah. You know, uh, regular smaller. turntable kind of thing. It just, yeah. just didn't work. It was really, it was really disappointing for me to actually have to make the decision to let that thing go, but it it wasn't great. It needed some work anyway. It, you could play, you could play it, but um, it yeah. was cra- crazy. It, the, the, the only vinyl that came with it that was, kept from what they had was a, a record that showed you how stereo worked
2: oh wow that's amazing so
1: it would play songs on both sides so you could see this oh. is stereo
2: oh that's funny that yeah. is funny wow Should kept that album you should have oh man definitely i bet you can still find it somewhere i bet you can yeah
1: and then there's your aunt carol she was kind of a musical influence for you, wasn't she?
2: She kind of was. She was my, um, in fact, she definitely was. She was my mom's, or she is my mom's younger sister. And she was sort of the artist of the family. Our our family's relatively musical, but my aunt was the, you know, ultimate singer-songwriter. She has the personality for that and everything. So when I was a little tiny kid, she was in college. And so I'd go hang out with her and we'd, drive around singing all of her favorite songs, some of which my mom was like, oh, gosh, she, why did you teach her that? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I learned a lot about just how to love music and, you know, kind of how to sing from the heart and just uh, sing with all your passion. And, and Carol was great about kind of teaching, teaching me about just, just that having that great love of music. She really instilled that in me and, and just being able to appreciate all kinds of different genres of music as well.
1: And without naming any names, I guess, because I don't want to get anybody in trouble here, but are there songs that you hear today that take you back to those days?
2: Oh man, of course, um, all the time, all the time, yeah, yeah, all the time, yeah. I was... think that's
1: one of the things that's so cool about music. Yeah, it really transcends time. And there's there's so many times where I hear something, and then I just immediately I can, I, I can remember where I was. I can smell yes. something that that reminds me of. You know, it's just it's so weird how music can do that.
2: It's oh so awesome. absolutely. It is. It's so true. Although I have to admit, the songs that I probably learned um that I'm infamous for singing out loud in front of my parents' friends, like Lay Down Sally or like uh I don't know, mm-hmm. Cheeseburger in Paradise. I don't like I had to learn those later on in life because I don't remember, you know, I didn't remember singing mm-hmm. those. Um, so there were all or shake your booty or you know like yeah. Casey and the Sunshine Band, that's some good ones. Yeah, yeah I didn't actually <laughs> remember them until you know I had to kind of listen to them with everyone else later on and go, oh, mm-hmm. that's how that song goes. Yeah, oh, but you was-
1: probably picked them up pretty easy because there was already this uh, track in your mind that yes. you picked it up. Yeah, yeah
2: absolutely. Yeah.
1: So was it from those days that you really wanted to sing and and or write? I mean, did it come kind of naturally to you?
2: You know, I always loved music and I loved singing. And we we had an old piano that came to live in our house when I was two that I immediately figured out how to play, you know, my favorite songs on and just kind of, you know, plunk out the notes Uh, all day until my mom would just say enough piano for now, but uh, it kept me entertained. So I I loved music. I was very, very shy. I was very introverted, especially once I went to school and realized that having a visual impairment made me different from the other kids. Um, I was, for a while, I was in um, like preschool and pre-K or or kindergarten, I guess, even as well um, at Um, at a local school, like a a local private school. And then I went to the school for the blind and was mainstreamed half day. And so I think as I got into school, I, you know, kind of, you know, would find myself like staying in my room or playing the piano when no one was around. And, you know, that was kind of my reflective time, my journaling time. So I started to write songs pretty early on, I think I was seven or eight when I started kind of putting words and music together. And I really fell in love with that process, not because I thought I was going to do it one day, but just because it was kind of my way of of processing the world and unwinding and, you know, putting my thoughts together, you know, kind of in a safe place where uh, nobody could tell me I, you know, couldn't say it that way. So, um, and, and also just working out, you know, pain at school or working out, you know, um, like I remember having a friend when I was in fifth grade that had cancer. And so I remember writing a song for her and I didn't actually play it for her, but I think it was just kind of working out the pain that I felt for my friend because she was going through this really difficult time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so song, songwriting was always my journaling and it was often the conversations that I was not brave enough to actually have with people. So I would just write them in song. Um, so, but every time, and I did play in, in the band in, in middle and high school, and I uh, sang in every choir that I could. Um, and I would sing solos, but I just always would get so nervous that I thought, gosh, I, I could never do this for a living. It would be too terrifying.
1: I think in the book too, you also mentioned that singing or writing songs of hope kind of became a a way of life for you is that kind of what you're talking about there
2: yeah it it really did I think um there were there there were very few times where I would write a song that would end <laughs> in darkness you know as it were or just end down and, and depressed uh for the most part songs you know I kind of always would work my way to hope and sometimes I didn't even know why. Sometimes I thought, gosh, you know, um, this isn't very singer-songwriter of me. They're all supposed to be sort of melancholy and sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there was just a, a sense of of kind of um, – you know, writing into song what I believe to be true. And that was that, you know, that there was always good to be found and that holding on um, was going to grow hope in me. And just, you know, learning how to smile and learning how to be thankful was was going to prove to be the best path forward. And so some, somehow that just always ended up in songs. And I always felt better after I finished writing songs.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think I would too. Yeah. You mentioned the piano, mm-hmm. uh, which I've, I've heard you play quite a bit. Uh, in your book, you mentioned uh, a little stint with a guitar, but you couldn't. Uh, you didn't. Didn't really make it happen. Or are you still working on that? I'm
2: still working on that. In fact, I picked it up again this summer. Um, so I every now and then I'll take it out on the road. I love the guitar. I love the sound of the guitar and the color of it. I have a baby Martin that I really love to play because it's it's small and uh, manageable, and it's it has a really nice warm tone to it. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not that great. I think I'm getting a little better finally, uh, so I'm just gonna keep working at it. And sometimes I don't, I, I won't, you know, if I have to go out of town for a while, I won't take it because I need to carry a lot of other things and I don't have room for a guitar. But yeah, I do keep plugging away at it because I do love it, and it's uh, it's very different than the piano. Although I do try to play it like a piano. I I like to finger pick as opposed to kind of strumming the chords. Mm-hmm. So. So yeah, I it. So
1: there's it. a an album coming down the road with uh with with the guitar then. Oh uh, maybe. Like,
2: right? Maybe it's it's a long way off though. <laughs> so <laughs> but it definitely inspires some of my my writing and and more so these days. So uh but you just don't want to hear me play it um uh, at this point.
1: Well, with technology these days, you can you can fix a lot of that things. Is on so recordings, true. right? That is so true. Yes. Just play it right once and you can repeat it yes. 70 times.
2: Yay for Reaper. Yep. Right. Absolutely.
1: And then, of course, there's the uh, singing and uh, also read in your book that when you were in college, you got uh, kind of got a uh, not a good report from one of your professors or one of your teachers about the the future of your voice.
2: Yeah. Well, she either did me the best favor. Uh, you know, in fact, I would say Let's now. Yeah, yeah, I would say she did me a great favor. Um, yeah, I was a double major in vocal performance, commercial vocal performance and uh, music education when I was in school. And, um, you know, I really thought I was going to teach high school, but I also kind of had a little dream of maybe I would, you know, write some songs for maybe my students or maybe I would, I don't know, I had a lot of friends that I you know, was going to school in Nashville. So I had a lot of friends that dreamed of having a record deal. So I thought, well, I don't know, maybe I could do that. And um, right at the end of my junior year when auditions were held for all of the groups that we had at at Belmont, all the singing groups. Um, I auditioned yet again and made none of them yet again. And one of my professors um, just said in front of another student, friend of mine, thank goodness. But um, she just said, you know, Jenny, your voice is just weak. I just don't, I don't think that you're ever going to you know, be able to use it, <laughs> um, you know, meaningfully, uh, you know, in a career, uh, in in a career path, and um, she's like, I don't really know what to tell you to do about it. It's just kind of how it is, and so um, I thought yeah, about
0: that's
2: it. Tough. Yeah, it really was. It was quite a blow. Um, but what I decided to do was to drop my uh performance major because that meant that I could get out of school in four years. Um, so the curse or the blessing of that was, you know, as a music student, you t- you take so many music classes that you don't usually get your general eds, your core classes done in your first two years. So I had a ton of them left to take. So after I dropped my performance major, I spent my last semester um, before student teaching, just taking all these really boring general eds, like biology and conservation of natural resources, which is now fascinating, but not when you're 21. Yeah. And, um, Oh, gosh, just Western Civ, all these eight o'clock classes with freshmen. It was really something. But I wrote tons of songs during those classes. So um,
1: that's that's good. Yeah,
2: Yeah. I wrote pretty much my whole first album and and, well, almost all of it in those in that year. Um, And honestly, it got me out of school more quickly. And uh, I kind of
1: very productive all around. Yeah,
2: yeah. I just kind of took my hands off of it. And I was like, well, if this is meant to be if if I'm supposed to do something with my music, it'll happen. And there you go.
1: Was it easy to uh, transition from writing songs into writing books or becoming an author? Is that a normal transition? Or is that something you've been working on for a long time? Or how did that kind of manifest itself?
2: Oh, man. Uh, No, it's not easy because songs you only need a few words for, you know, they take up a page, uh, max. <laughs> and that's, you know, a drop in the bucket when it comes to a book. So, mm-hmm. uh, no, it, it was definitely different. Um, I co-wrote a book with a friend of mine, uh, named Andrew Greer back in 2014, 15, uh, I guess is when we released that. And so that was kind of a taste, um, but this was the first book that I really had to shape myself, and I was very thankful for the the fact that I was in school, so I was doing a lot of writing um, papers and having to think about writing a lot more, uh, and honestly, the the pandemic was very helpful because I just had lots of time to sit and hash it out until I got it done. So I, I really, um, you know, I kind of dreaded the process because it is so different, Um partly because of how much space you need to fill up and, and also you just realize that there's a lot you can say in a song that could be kind of ambiguous. There's there's our word. You know yes. It could uh yeah, it could mean a lot of things and you can let people read it, uh into it whatever meaning you want mm, whatever yeah, meaning sure. they want to. Uh and that's not as true with writing a book. I mean you have to mean what you say, so you have to say it well so people know what you mean and that was probably the hardest thing for me because you know you that means you don't always want to use language that that is ambiguous you want to be clear and uh especially in talking about matters of faith and the company that I was writing the book for was a company that you know wanted wanted me to speak not only of my story but also just my journey of faith and so I wanted to be very clear about that so that yet, it was another way that I was grateful for just those many hours to just sit and work at. It was probably one of the, I mean, other than school, it's one of the first things in a while that I have just had to sit and just plug away at for hours and days to to figure out how to do it well. And then on the other side of it, to to learn how to edit well, which I I actually began to enjoy the editing process. You know, in music, one of the things that you have to do is you check mixes so after you know after you've finished recording the song the the mix engineer is you know working on getting all the levels of the different sounds right mm-hmm. and you might listen to a mix 20 times or 50 times or 100 times sometimes and you're like oh my gosh I can't listen to this again well when you read chapters that are you know however many 10 to 20 pages long Multiple times, you're like, okay, I'll never complain about mixes again. You know, it's <laughs> just a walk in the park comparatively. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, it was, it's a different process. It's a lot, you know, longer. It's um, a lot more precise. Uh, precision is necessary, but uh, it was a lot of fun. I really, I really think it, it was a blast to do.
1: Did you feel a calling to do that or what was kind of the impetus for writing it?
2: Well, I would say um, the, primary, the primary impetus was, uh, talking to, um, some friends that work, uh, in, in books and music in Nashville that I have worked with for a while. And, um, a book publisher kind of saying, Hey, do you want to write a book? <laughs> and I was like, well, I've had this idea. And, uh, so as I sort of created, um, you know, a book, I can't think of the name of it right now, but like the book, um, well, I can't think of what you call it. The book pitch sheet. Uh, let me think of what you call it before, and you can just can't help edit it. Yeah, I know. Manuscript. Um, well, as I created, well, as I put together the information to to sort of pitch them the idea for the book, you know, I had to have an outline of the chapters and uh, you know, a good bit of um well, actually I turned in a I think the introduction and and the first chapter. And that actually just kind of all fell together and felt you know, pretty cohesive. Of course, I edited a lot later, but um, I was able to kind of see the bigger picture. And so that kind of made it feel like, okay, this is something I actually could do this. This feels like it's, it's the next step. It's the right thing. And I, I'm really thankful because, um, you know, being a, a full-time musician and not having gigs last year, it was great to have the book and, and that project to dive into. Um, So, so yeah, it, it's kind of worked out to be a calling, whether I saw it that way or not.
1: I think we've mentioned it, but the title is Singing in the Dark, uh, Finding Hope in the Songs of Scripture. Right. Yeah. And we'll have it linked on the website for the for the podcast, but anywhere books are found, uh, you can find the book. Yes. And there's also the audio format, which I am just, I love that. That's how I like to consume books. And you recorded the audio book, which is like double bonus. So how was that experience?
2: I did. You know what? I did not have long. I had only a few days to record it. And I, uh, we sent it off to the, you know, professional audio book editor people to make it sound, yeah. you know, pristine, but I recorded it in my little tiny bathroom because it's the quietest place in the house. So I lined it with pillows and blankets and I yeah. actually used, um, studio recorder, which is an APH software, um, it's so convenient to use because when you say things wrong or you mispronounce a word or you misspeak a word, you just, you know, kind of arrow back and pick up where you left off. It's brilliant. So that made the process go much easier. I would have loved to have had a little bit more time to just kind of, you know, really um, make sure that every every chapter was sort of spoken as well as I would have liked, but, but it was fun and uh, I was... Very thankful to get to do it, and um, very thankful when it was done. So I think I spent about fifty hours one week recording it. They were like, "Oh, we need the audio book, and you have a week." So, uh, so yeah, no it was pressure or anything. Yeah. Well, it sounds great, well, and thanks. none of
1: that comes across in the recording. I mean, I'm not maybe the most discerning ear, but um, I, I I didn't detect any any abnormalities or anything. I think it sounded great, and I think it's just so awesome too when the author reads their own work, um, because you know what the words mean, right. And you know how to make the appropriate inflections and tone for certain things. And I just, it it seems to be so, uh, it, it seems to come off so perfect, at least for me as the reader.
2: Oh, that's so cool. Yes, I agree. I do love when authors read their books. I, I can't listen to my own book. It's like, you know, it's yeah, sure. horrifying. I, but, right. yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, I
1: don't listen to these podcasts either because it's yeah. my voice is just so terrible. But no, it's um, great. It's, it's so great when the author uh, I, I feel like it's such it's a much more true representation of the book. And I, I just like audio, yes. the audio format. Now, again, I'm um, visually impaired, legally yeah. blind. I can't read text unless right. it's as big as. Um, you know, my house, yes, so it's it's not not easy for me to uh, read things right. so i I get things digitally, uh, I use voiceover, I use um software on the computer, yeah, zoom text, jaws, things like that to to turn text to speech, right. but those are all very robotic, and yes. they're getting better as 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 technology improves, but when you have a human reading. Uh, it's, it's just so much, it's a normal, it seems like a normal experience, you know? Definitely. And yeah. I feel like I'm getting the same experience that anybody would be getting, listening to the audiobook. And that's, it's just where when the, when the author's reading it, I feel like I'm getting the, I'm getting the true story.
2: Yes. You probably got some helicopters too. And in, in my book, I, there was most of the, the, the days that I was recording for whatever reason, there were helicopters that would circle. And so. I would have about a five-minute window that I could record, and then I'd have to stop. And while it went by, wow. and I was just maddening. Yeah.
1: So it doesn't sound like the recording process is a real. <laughs> or it's a real gym. The first
2: time. I <laughs> well, we made it through, but I was like, no. I just would start. I got to where I would start at like 4 a.m. Like I would just kind of warm up my voice, have my coffee, and start recording because I was like, there's not going to be helicopters at 4 a.m. Surely, so that helped a lot when I kind of figured that out. But, um, but yeah, no, I like. Um, I like audiobooks too. It kind of depends on what I'm reading for. I find that in school I can use the synthetic text um but I I like braille. If I need to comprehend something I have to use braille. Yeah. Um and take notes and in or like mark up the book. Mm-hmm. But um yeah. but yeah, but I I I I agree with you, especially if I'm reading anything that's fiction or um just I don't know, any kind of book where I'm I'm learning things for for leisure, then I I love to listen to uh, the author read it if I can.
1: You mentioned at school. Let me ask you this: What about uh, Braille? Is it easy to learn Hebrew and Braille?
2: You know, it's doable. I I, I quite liked it. I mean, it, it was so hard, but it it was really it was really a lot of fun. The challenge. I mean, I is, think learning
1: Hebrew by itself is hard anyway. Uh, but then sure. learning it in Braille can't be. <laughs> it's just got to be.
2: Well, the thing about Braille is, you know, you have a limited number of. options for characters. So I took three semesters of Greek, and then I took three semesters of Hebrew. And a lot of the same, a lot of the characters overlap, uh, obviously, but they mean different things. So you have to just remember what language you're reading in. So now that both are, now that I finished with both, I do find that like, when I go back, I have to be like, wait, what does that sound like? How do, how do you read that? Because um, you know, they it just all overlaps. I mean, same with Spanish or English, you know, you have a limited number of characters that you mm-hmm. can create. So you you kind of go, Oh man, what what language is this? So that's the that's been the hardest part, I think, is now trying to make it all stick in my brain and remember what I'm reading.
1: And then I presume when you were doing the, the recording for the audiobook, it was in Braille and you're reading from the Braille?
2: Yes, I had my braille display in my lap. Um, yeah, in fact, I even was using, I used all kind cause I actually had to send my Braille sense Polaris, which is what I usually use, uh, in that week. Cause one of the dots was not working and they sent me a, like a replacement to hold, uh, to have. And, uh, one of the dots wasn't working on that. I'm like, I can't read this on. So anyway, so I used a Braille display. I used an old Braille sense on hand to read a lot of it. And I usually had, like a blanket covering my hands as I was reading so that you couldn't hear the Braille.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it, it sounded great. So
2: cool. Um, Thanks. You're, you're pulling
1: back the curtain here on, on some things I you know. don't really have to. It sounded great.
2: Well, it, it's fun. I mean, it's fun. Cause I know people like to know what you did and how you did yeah, it.
1: Absolutely. So. And it's a tremendous book also. Thank and you. for me reading, it was, was pretty quick uh, because it was like a, um, I I think I read it like in two settings. Oh man! Or listened Blessing. to it rather. Gosh. Yeah, uh, it was kind of like a little Bible study, though. Yeah. Um, because there are so many great stories and scriptures that you go through, and all the people and the characters that you talk about. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really put together well. What What was for you what was the most fun part about writing it or or producing it anyway?
2: Well, I think one of the things that I am a huge proponent of is the idea that there's much hope to be learned in, in the words of scripture. And that, you know, uh, even for many people who would call themselves Christians, they kind of go, I don't really know what to do with this book is, does it apply to me at all? And so I, um, look in each chapter there are ten chapters and in each one I kind of look at a, a what I call a song from scriptures some of that is a, more loosely you know defined as songs um, but but different passages that i I feel like can teach us some element of of how to live in the world you know some element of f- finding hope in the world um and so I um, look at those stories but then I weave around that my own sort of personal journey of you know, learning to find hope, learning to have faith in a difficult situation. So, um, you know, I, I kind of walked through some, you know, some things that are kind of, I don't know, more surface level, like when I learned to put on makeup, you know, when I was uh, a 12-year-old a and, and I just thought this was going to be the best thing in my life. And then, you know, as you realize as a 12-year-old and certainly as a blind person, learning to put on makeup is, you know, it's not easy. You got to count swipes and things like that. So there's stories like that. And then uh, I sort of relate that to the story of Hannah, um, who was the mother of Samuel and um, was uh, a person that, a woman who had been childless and living in a society when, um, you know, if you were a woman who could not have children, you had no value in the world. And so um, just kind of talking about her transformation and the song that she comes to sing because of um, sort of her prayer to God and how he works in that prayer. And I kind of talk about my journey of, of blindness and and learning that I didn't always have to, you know, muster strength on my own, that that's not what it was about. So there's stories like that, but then there's also stories of, I talk really candidly about just kind of feeling like music uh, was my way of belonging in the world because I realized it was a, you know, bridge that can connect me with sort of the sighted world or, or whoever, not even just the sighted world, but whoever else, you know, could hear my songs and relate and hear their own stories in those songs. And so um, I talk honestly about how that almost overtook my life just because I sort of was like, well, everything has to be about music then. Everything has to be about growing the career and doing the next thing. And of course, when you place all of your value on, on something like that, it's going to, things are going to go awry and uh, fall apart. And, you know, you, you, that that never works well. So all kinds of different stories. And then I just try to connect them to stories that, and songs that I have found hope in uh, from the scriptures.
1: One of the things I thought was cool was how you talked about um, as a, as a youngster, maybe Uh, how you would memorize music. You talk about trying to read music, uh, you know, like Braille music. It's, you kind of need your fingers for that. So it's hard to play (laughs) the piano and, and and you compare that to learning or memorizing scripture and, and you use that probably in life in general, but especially I'm guessing in your, in your school stuff now.
2: Yeah. You know, one of the ways that I got through Greek and Hebrew was I just started to sing everything because you have to learn all these paradigms and, you know, Uh, verb patterns and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I just would sing them because then you kind of offload it. You know, you're not, you don't have to remember anymore. It's just in the song. And so it's just stuck in your brain. And so then I kind of thought, man, I should just start doing that with scripture and with all kinds of other things that I need to memorize. So, um, but I've actually found it to be a very powerful tool for, for getting through school. And, uh, and then also for for memorizing uh, words of hope from from scripture that I that I um have have now learned to just sing and it kind of goes into the brain so much more quickly that way.
1: And towards the end of the book, you talk about um, you get into Revelations and and some kind of wrapping up the book. You talk about how the the best is yet to come.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, I I really do believe that um, so much of how we live now and how we look at life now has to do with what we think forever will be and what we think forever looks like and so i think for me that's been something that has just especially as i've been in school but just just even thinking about just the idea of i mean if it is true that one day we will see god face to face um I think that means like uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, that basically we're all all ambiguously blind right now. You know, there's a sense in which every human, we just can't see clearly. We don't exactly know everything that's going to happen tomorrow. And some of us would say they're bigger questions. We don't know how long we're going to have to suffer with something. We don't know the answers to some really difficult questions. But then he says, you know, but there will be a day. There will be a day when we know as we're fully known. There will be a day when we see clearly. So I love that idea of just the. there's going to be a day when you and I and all the rest of the world is no longer blind or ambiguously blind or anything like that. There will be a day of clarity. Um, And so I guess if I think of that day, if we think of that day as the day when we will be with Jesus and God and we will be able to talk to them and see them face to face, then that that means that I have so much more hope for now. That means that I can care for people around me well now. That means I don't have to be afraid. That means there's just a bigger picture. I mean, it's you know, like our our families, our teachers tell us that when we're kids, you got to think bigger than what you can see right now, and I think that still applies when we're adults as well, right? We we got to think bigger than today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right about that. In one of the verses that I always like to remember is, um, from Paul is second Corinthians, uh, five, seven is we live by faith, not by sight. Right. And that means different things to different people. And for me, it, it means much more of a literal sense of the the meaning, but, um, that's, I I don't know. I, I think about that often.
2: That's so true. Well, and that back to, too, what I was saying, I think we all live by faith. <laughs> like we, even the people that live yeah. by by sight, well, you know, even if you don't have faith, you you do have faith. I mean, you have to trust that you're going to be able to get up and take your breath in the morning, you know? And mm-hmm. I mean, that things are going to be as you think they, you know, should be. I mean, there's just, we all trust to some degree. And so I think the more we can realize that, the honestly, the more hope and the more power we have.
1: Well, Jenny, thanks a bunch for being here with the Ambiguously Blind Podcast. It really, truly has been a pleasure visiting with you. I'm really grateful and blessed that you uh, you came to join us and uh, learned a lot from the book. Uh, Again, Singing in the Dark. Where is the best place for people to find you, and what do you got going on right now?
2: Well, thanks again for having me. Um, It has been so much fun to chat with you. And um, well, let's see. You can find me all kinds of places. GinnyOwens.com is my website where you can find out about all the things. It's G-I-N-N-Y-O-W-E-N-S. Facebook is Ginny Owens Music. Uh, YouTube is the same. And then uh, Twitter is at Ginny Owens. So would love to... uh, See everybody there and uh, say hi. Yeah, I'd love to say hi. So let's see. I think those are the main places.
1: Well, we've got the book. You also had some music that just dropped a couple weeks ago too, right?
2: Yeah, there was some music that came out alongside the book called Sing Hope in the Darkness. And you can find that uh, anywhere you like to get your music. So on the Apple and Spotify and Amazon and we also released uh, an album earlier this year called Expressions. Um, actually, it was a set of two EPs. and EP just means extended play, which means basically a mini album. Um, I have to say that because a lot of times people are like, what's an EP? I don't know. Yeah. So, um, so Expressions was a really fun project to put out. And um, if you like, I could share a song with you from it.
1: Yeah, we'd like that. What do you got?
2: Uh, this is a song called Don't You Dare. Uh, it's one of my favorite songs that... I've gotten to write recently, and it's um, it's really just a encouragement. It's a word of encouragement to whoever might be going through a difficult time, and maybe just needs to be reminded that they are loved and that they are known.
0: Don't you know Your smile lights up the darkness And your eyes Set the world on fire You should know You're more than just this moment in time So take a breath And hold your head a little higher Don't you know There's purpose in your story So don't hold back and keep it to yourself I know it's hard to see the love surrounding you Today. spending time with the Ambiguously Blind Podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe. And for a complete transcript of this episode, connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.